Well, we start a new series today, God, Your Family, and You. This series, I believe, is very, very important for us to understand. To do this, actually, we do this probably once, at least once every 10 years or so, in detail, in detail. And this is a detailed study on the family. We're going to begin with defining it, defining marriage and so forth, and we're going to see what God has to say on these issues. We're going to talk about marriage first, and then we're going to go about how to raise up or train up children in a proper way, according to the principles found in the Bible. Yes, the Bible has a lot to say about family, okay? It is the manual having to do with the family. When a couple asked the pastor if he would perform their marriage ceremony, he proceeded to tell them that he likes to give several sessions of premarital counseling before performing weddings, to which they replied, oh, we don't need counseling. We've both been married several times before. (laughs) Some people just don't get it. (laughs) Little Jimmy asked his mom one day at breakfast table, he said, why doesn't daddy have hair on his head? Mother responded, well, that's because daddy thinks a great deal. Now, some of you know what's coming. After a pause, little Jimmy asked, well, then, mommy, why do you have so much hair on your head? She answered, just eat your breakfast and quit asking so many silly questions. (laughs) Life, family life is full of interesting things, isn't it? Interesting moments, interesting moments. And um, some of them are precious and some of them are painful. There are probably few subjects that stir us up emotionally as much as the issue of family and the subject of family. Marriage and children affect us on a very personal and a very emotional level, and they are very much a part of who we are. Okay? It goes on. Your childhood, to some extent, is part of defining who you are as a person. There can be great joy in marriage and family. There can be great heartbreak in marriage and family. I believe most people want a good marriage and a good family life, but it doesn't just happen. And that's where the first mistake is, folks. A lot of people think it just happens. If you just are sincere, everything is going to be great. And the truth of it is, that's not true. There are definite things and mindsets and actions God wants us to take, all defined in his word. There's a paradigm, understanding and how to see the family and do it God's way. Now listen, one of the worst mistakes we can make is by going solely on how we were raised, okay? There are no perfect families, but there is a perfect book. The word of God is the manual on how to have a successful marriage, and how to have a successful family. God gives it very clearly in his word. An example of building a building, okay? There's a good architect who designs a building, all right? If he is good, he knows the ins and outs. He knows physics. He understands a lot. He understands the structure, the load-bearing walls, and other reasons for the design, that he comes up with. There are plans, and those plans must be followed for success. They're blueprints. Blueprints are vital to the building of a building. It is the same with the family. There is a blueprint 
And it's found in the Word of God. And that is what we're going to be looking at during this series. See, God is the architect, and God is the inventor of the family. It is his idea. Man does not define it. I know man has tried to redefine it, and all it's caused is problems. God has been very specific as to what makes it up and what leads to success. Listen, no one understands the inner workings of something better than the one who created it, okay? So while you may have strong opinions on what is right and what is wrong, all of those things must bow the knee to the great architect, God. And he has given us the principles in the word of God. As in the title of this series, the issue of family all begins with God. Not our feelings, not our opinions, God. He tells us about marriage, he tells us about the family, and then he shows us in the scriptures our responsibilities for that to be carried out properly. And as we obey his word and apply his principles prayerfully, consistently, courageously at times, he blesses. Why? It isn't because of who we are. It's because he honors his word above his own name. That's what the Bible says. Imagine that. God honors his word above his own name. That is a staggering thought. If that is true, then we need to find out what he has to say. You see, folks, let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning, there were no human beings at all. God is the one who created them. And when he created them, he created them male and female. And he was very clear about how they were to relate to one another. He then gave us instructions on what the family is and how the family is to function. Now let's begin with what God says in his word. And this series is going to be thoroughly biblical in nature. Now I usually don't say this, but if you're not interested in what the Bible has to say about the family, you're going to be bored. Or if you keep coming, you're going to be extremely convicted by what God has to say. Because he is the one who created it, therefore he is the one who knows how it's supposed to go, okay? So let's dig into our study. Genesis chapter 2. Let's go to the beginning. Of course, Genesis means the beginning. And so let's go there. Genesis 2. We're going to begin in verse 28. We're going to spend most of our time in Genesis today. Genesis 2, and we're going to begin in verse 24. And what we're going to do, number one, is we are going to define marriage. I think that's a good place to start. Define marriage. Now, let me just kind of jump ahead a little bit here, folks. It is not God's plan for you to have children before you get married. Now, I know it happens, and I know there are people in this room who that's what you've done, and I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm just saying that's not the way God planned it, okay? That brings with it lots of problems of its own. Define marriage, okay? Genesis 2, 24, it says this, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh, okay? Now that's a basic idea, but that's not all there is to it because people can just do that today, and God considers that a sin if they just come to each other and they have physical consummation. 
The New Unger's Bible Dictionary defines it this way. Marriage is a divine institution designed to form a permanent union between man and woman that they might be helpful to one another. Genesis 2.18. Moses presents it as the deepest corporal and spiritual unity of man and woman and monogamy as the form of marriage ordained by God. Menominee, uh, Menominee, that's a place in Wisconsin. <laughs> Menogamy, Menogamy, there you go. Say that 10 times fast. No, not right now. One man, one woman for life. That's the plan. Now I know there are breakdowns with that, but one man, one woman for life. Another source said this, a conventional union of one man and one woman when they swear before God an oath of lifelong loyalty and love to one another, the sign and seal of which is, and I'll just use the term, physical consummation, okay? So defining marriage, I think Unger's Dictionary is a very good one. And you might say, well, where is that? Where's those exact words in the Bible? That is a, a compilation of the truths having to do with marriage according to Scripture. It is something in God's plan, God's design, he is supposed to be part of that, and it's according to his plan, male and female. And there is a dedication to one another in that. So that's defining marriage, but let's go on and uh, broaden that a little bit, not defining it, but explaining it a little further. Number two, let's recognize the biblical distinction. God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I am going to make him a helpmeet or a helper fit or suitable for him. All right? Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the air and over the fowl of the sea and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So let me just interject this here. That creeping thing is not your brother, okay? <laughs> man is to have dominion over those things. Now that doesn't mean we don't respect God's creation. We do. But man is to have dominion over that. Well, who says? God does. God does. Verse 27, here you go. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Look at these next words, very important. Male and female created he them. God's plan, male and female. Chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him or a helper fit for him. Now let us note at this point, even though what I'm about to say today by today's standard is controversial. All right. Why do we get so concerned about that? It is our job to just proclaim in love the truth of God, right? And man has to deal with that, okay? So what I'm about to say has nothing to do with me versus some other person. What I'm about to say has to do with the teaching of the Bible and how that person responds to it. My job, I'm like a paper boy. My job is to deliver the news to your house, okay? What you do with it is up to you. Now, I hope you embrace it and believe it and apply it. But let us note in chapter 1, verse 27, and also chapter 2, verse 18, let us note at this point that there was no such thing as homosexuality 
Homosexuality did not exist until after the fall of man, and then sin started tainting the human race. Saying that, I do not hate homosexuals. God loves them, and I love them, okay? But God is the designer, and he did not design things male and male. That's not how he made it. He designed it male and female. He did not design it female and female, okay? Now, you know, there's somebody who will say, but wait a minute, the Supreme Court said, let me tell you something. The Supreme Court is a bunch of fallible men whose minds have been, sometimes, their minds have been, I'll just say it, corrupted and twisted from the plan of God. God is the creator, not the Supreme Court. And if the Supreme Court says something is okay or legal or right, that doesn't make it so. God is the authority. God is the one who has the final say. He had the first say because he's the one who created it. And he has the final say because everyone one day is going to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. God loves everyone. We are to love everyone. But God is the designer and he did not design things male and male or female and female. It would be, listen, it would be impossible for the human race to continue if all there were was homosexuals. Impossible. That's it. The human race. You know, everybody's, oh, global warming, oh, this or that. No, friend, this is a far greater threat. Because number one... Listen, you don't have to worry about the world being destroyed by global warming or climate change. By the way, we just experienced climate change in the last week and a half. It was warm, now it's cold, and this week it's going to get warm again. Okay? It's going to happen. But that's not an issue. Here's the issue. You don't have to worry about the world being destroyed by that because the Bible has already told us what's going to happen and how the world is going to end. And it's at least, according to the Bible, this may surprise some, it's at least 1,007 years away. How can you be so precise? Well, it's at least, I said. It depends on when Jesus comes to take the church out of the world at the rapture. Then that time clock of 1,007 years begins, okay? And I won't go into all the details of that. If you want more details on it, see me afterwards. But it would be impossible for the human race to continue if all there was were homosexuals. God says homosexuality is a perversion of his way. It is taking the way of God and it is distorting it. And it is twisting it. Again, it doesn't mean God hates them. We do not hate homosexuals, okay? I have counseled with homosexuals. I understand some of And again, I'm not one, so I don't understand the internal except by what I have been told by them. It's a very difficult thing with some of them. But nevertheless, it is a result of the fall. Hold your place here and look at Leviticus chapter 18 with me. God has been very clear on this issue. You know, I said, well, God hates homosexuals. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. That includes them. And by the way, that includes you. See, because God says this, homosexuality is a sin. But guess what? So is pride. So is fornication. So is stealing. So is using God's name in vain. So is gossip. All those things are abominations because an abomination is something detestable to God. It's a sin. 
But God has provided a solution to our sin, and that person is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross in dying for our sins. Leviticus 18.22 states this, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Okay? God says he abhors it. God says it's a sin. And he says, don't do it. There are reasons he says it beyond just that he says it. It is because of the effect that it can have on society. Okay? Now, I'm not here to argue the point, but to simply proclaim what God says. To say it is wrong is the same as saying any other sin is wrong. Adultery is wrong. Fornication is wrong. God's design for the marital relationship is heterosexual, not homosexual, and it is monogamous, not polygamous. Now, After giving us the history of mankind, rejecting God as his creator and his authority, which resulted in a downward spile of destruction in the human race, I want you to see what God says. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. See, you know what we define right and wrong by today in our society? People's personalities, people's looks. And we'll, we'll see some, you know, we'll hear about somebody in the media and you'll say, well, that, yeah, that person is this or that. They're, they do this thing. And you know that thing is against God's word. But then you see the person and they look like a nice person and maybe they are nice in their social way. And maybe they've got a nice look about them and so forth. And you say, well, you know, maybe it's not so wrong. But that, the way they look does not define right and wrong. God defines right and wrong. Can we go a little deeper than the surface, folks? Aren't we beyond that? I thought we're supposed to be mature people. Let's believe God. He's the architect. He's the designer. He knows what's best. In Romans 1.26, talking about before Romans 1.26, the rejection of mankind of the truth of God and of, of the gospel and how man did not accept what God says. And so what is the result? Verse 26, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, perverted twisted affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, in other words, the natural design that God has designed between men and women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly or unfitting, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir, which was meet or fitting. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. The word reprobate means void of understanding. To do those things which are not convenient or fitting. People who reject what God has said, people who reject what the word of God tells us about our relationship with him and the gospel and so forth. What does God do? He gives them up. He doesn't give up on them. What he's saying is he lets them have their way. And the result of that is a reprobate mind to where they get so twisted in their thinking, they think wrong is right and right is wrong. Is that not where we're at today in America? The Bible is clear recognize the biblical distinction, man and woman, okay? Let me say it, and I say it with kindness, but clearly, okay? There is no such thing in the eyes of God 
as homosexual marriage or gay marriage. There is no such thing. It does not matter what the Supreme Court says. What matters is what God says. And the scriptures are clear. Again, we love all people. We treat every person with respect, okay? And we live in a country where if you want to do that, you can do that. There's a freedom of choice to do that. But it doesn't mean that there aren't results to that, negative results. Number three, let's understand the divine fourfold purpose of marriage. Now, this is critical to get. The divine fourfold purpose of marriage. All four parts are immensely important. The first is this. Marriage is for intimate companionship. Marriage is for intimate companionship. Back to Genesis chapter 2. It said in verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be what? Alone. God was going to fill the need with companionship for him. That's the first thing. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet or a helper fit for him. Jump down to verse 21. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man, God says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is before man and woman sinned in the Garden of Eden. But you notice the plan, okay? Man and woman, they make the foundation there of marriage. A man leaves his father and mother, he cleaves unto his wife, they shall be one flesh. Now it's interesting here, the word cleave, it's interesting, it means to cling or stick to. Man is supposed to cling or stick to his wife. In other words, God expects married people to stay together. That's his plan. Now, I know things happen. We'll talk about that down the road here. God expects married people to stick together. So, dear friend, if you're going to get married, plan on getting married for the rest of your life. If you're thinking in terms of, well, we'll try it out, you are already asking for trouble. Already. One flesh. This is a union that takes place when people are married in the sight of God. Marriage is to be a permanent bond, one man, one woman for life. Go with me to Matthew chapter 19. See, there is a union that takes place when a man and woman get married. They are two, but they become one. And by the way, that oneness is one of the reasons why divorce is so painful. Because you're literally ripping a person apart. Matthew 19, 5. And said, Jesus is speaking. And by the way, he put 100% confidence in the Genesis record. Jesus believed the book of Genesis was literal, historical truth. Non-negotiable. He is quoting here from Genesis. And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain or two, but one flesh. What therefore God, do you see this? 
God has joined together. Let not man put asunder. So marriage is that man and woman coming together in the sight of God. There is a commitment there. There is a commitment there, okay? So first, marriage is for intimate companionship. Secondly, marriage is the only acceptable channel for sexual pleasure. Let me say it again. Marriage is the only, only, only acceptable channel for sexual pleasure pleasure. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1, it says, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It has to do with touch her in a way that arouses sexual desire. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, which is sex out of marriage, which is a sin, by the way, just as much as homosexuality or anything else, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, if you want to look at that with me, it says this, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but look at the next ones, but whoremongers, those are fornicators, and adulterers, God will judge. This is what God says. So there is a sanctity of marriage. There is a commitment. There is a seriousness about it, and the physical relationship and the the physical desires the only place they are allowed to be fulfilled is within the boundaries of a monogamous marriage that's what god says you might say well i don't believe that i think it's okay to live together because everybody does well that's kind of now look with all due respect that's dumb okay if everybody was jumping off a cliff would you do it simply because everybody else was doing it See, God, folks, God has made us smarter than that, okay? Go with the one who knows what's right and wrong, not with the crowd. In 2002, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention released a report based on a nationwide survey of 10,847 women. They found, listen, that 20% of first marriages end in divorce or separation within five years. Now, that That's a tragedy, but that's not the point. Listen carefully. Again, they found that 20% of first marriages end in divorce or separation within five years, while 49% of premarital cohabitation relationships end within that same time frame. So married people, yes, if there's failure, it's a 20% in that period of time. But if it's not married, if they're simply living together, It is 49%, more than double, more than double the amount of failure. Let me ask you a question today. How many of you want your marriages to fail? Yeah, that's what I thought. Well, then let's be careful to honor God's way. He knows what he's talking about. When these time frames are extended to 10 years, from five years to 10 years, when these time frames are extended to 10 years, 62% of cohabitation relationships break up. 62%. That's more than one in two. While just 33% of first marriages end. It's about half. There is a vast difference. You see, you might say, well, why is it that way? Well, because you're violating the word of God. That's why. We don't need to know all the physiological and psychological issues with this. The reason there's more failure is because it's a violation of the Word of God. It's just that simple. That should be enough, by the way, for us. Let me give you a third part 
of this issue of marriage. Marriage is for procreation, family. This, again, clearly excludes homosexuality because homosexuals cannot fulfill this. Now, I know there's ways today to say, well, what we'll do is we'll, you know, we'll adopt a baby or, or this or, or that. No, that is not the way God intended it to be. Marriage is for procreation. Genesis 1.28, again, and God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Only male and female can do that. Now, I'm not telling you anything you already don't know. Fourth, marriage is for the training of the future generations of the human race for Christ. Marriage is for the training of the future generations of the human race for Christ. When a man and woman get married and have children, that is called a family. A family. That was the plan from the beginning. Now, does that mean if you're a couple and, and you adopt that you don't consider yourself a family? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, though, is the concept of family came from God's perfect plan. And the plan is man and woman they come together, they have a commitment before God to a lifelong relationship with one another, and as they fulfill their marriage vows and their married life, they have children, and they now have the responsibility not just to have babies. Again, do you see how twisted we've become as a nation? Dear friend, if a person can reproduce, they can have babies. If a woman can get pregnant, she can have babies. But that doesn't make it a family. No, God has a beautiful plan. One man, one woman for life, they come together, they have children, and then they take seriously the task and responsibility of training those children up according to the principles found in the Word of God. Marriage is for the training of the future generations of the human race for Christ. When a man and woman get married and have kids, it's family. It can only happen with male and female. It cannot happen with male and male or female and female, it is impossible to have a child any other way. Now let me just give you a statement that's going to carry us all the way through the rest of the series, and it is this. A Christian home is not merely a place where Christians live, but a home where Christ lives. A Christian home is not merely a place where Christians live, but a home where Christ lives. You can be a family of Christians and not have a Christian home because you're not having a home following the pattern of the Word of God. And therefore, that does not come with the blessing of God. God blesses obedience to His Word. Proverbs 22.6 says this, and we'll talk more about this verse in the future. Train up a child. Who? Parents. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old... He will not depart from it. Okay, now I know there are different interpretations of that. You might say, Pastor, what do you think it means? Exactly what it says. I don't believe it's talking about train him up according to his bent. What's the big deal on that? Train him up according to the way he is, and when he's old, he'll still be that way. Wow, boy, isn't that great. What a promise that is. I don't get that. I just don't get it. I know people are teaching that. It doesn't make sense to me. I do believe it as it is. Ephesians chapter 6, would you go there with me? Again, marriage is for the training of the future generations of the human race for Christ. We'll have a lot more to say about that in the future. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says this, And you fathers, 
Provoke not your children to wrath or anger, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. There's a responsibility. First and foremost, it lays on the back of the dad because he's the leader of the home. Very clear. Don't provoke your children to anger. Don't be hypocritical, by the way. That's what brings frustration and anger. But bring them up in the nurture. The word nurture means training. And the admonition, the word admonition means to put into the mind. Bring them up in the training and the putting in the mind of the word of God, the ways of God. Okay? Now, speaking of family, God wants you to become part of his family. Did you know that? God loves you. He wants to be your spiritual father. But there's only one way you can get into his family. It's not by promising to be religious. It's not by doing good deeds. See, religion says do good deeds, that makes you a Christian. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the only way you go to heaven is by faith, not by works. By faith, by putting your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John chapter 1, it speaks of Jesus Christ, that he became flesh, or he took on flesh. And when Jesus came into this world, folks, he came for a specific purpose. That purpose was to die on the cross and make a payment for our sins. He came to die for us because if we die with our sins, we will be lost forever, and we will suffer the consequences of our violating the word of God, sinning. We will suffer that for all eternity, but God does not want that for anyone. And so he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world. And when Jesus went to the cross, he paid the price that we deserve to pay. He paid for it when he died there, and he paid for all of our sin once and for all when he died on the cross. And he rose from the grave. And the scriptures tell us that if we will put our faith or trust in him, that he made the complete payment for our sin, he will give us as a gift that moment, everlasting life. That's the message of the Bible. You need to receive Christ. How? By believing or trusting in him as your savior. John 1 verse 12, it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, to believe on the name of Christ. Jesus means God who is our savior. When you believe on him, you're putting your trust in him that he is God who will save you. Isn't that clear? Isn't that simple? Look over in chapter three, John chapter three. It says in verse 16, this is Jesus speaking here. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because, why? Because he is not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. You see, you don't end up lost forever in hell because you do bad things. Everybody does bad things. We're all sinners, okay? Look up here. Let me explain it to you this way. This hand representing you and me. 
This wallet representing the things we do wrong. God calls them sin. We're all sinners, including me. We're all sinners. By the way, that's why the world has problems, is because of sin. Sin entered the world. The sin nature is passed upon all mankind. So people are sinners, and they do things against God, and they do things against each other. And so there's a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. Jesus came to be the solution. He's the Savior. We're all sinners. God loves us. He hates our sin. You see, our sin is what separates us from God. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless. All the sin has to be gone. But how are you going to do that? Well, God says a death payment must be made for sin. If you do it, you'll be lost forever, separated from God. But if somebody else came along who was qualified and did it for you, that would work. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. Because God loves us, does not want us to be lost forever. See, we're already disqualified. That's why good works will not save you, because we're already sinners. If good works cannot save me, if I have to be perfect to get to heaven and I'm not, then what am I going to do? I'm hopeless, helpless. God says, I love you. I want you to be my child. He took on flesh, this hand representing Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself and he made the complete payment for our sin. He was buried. He came back from the dead three days later. And he says, if you will believe or trust in him that he made the payment for all of your sin, the very moment you put your faith in him, not yourself, but in him, he saves you and he gives you everlasting life. You see the difference between heaven and hell is found in verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not, look what it says, is condemned already, already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Listen carefully. If you are already condemned, that's proof right there that your good works can't save you. Because anybody who believes their good works are what get them, gets them to heaven believes that you have to do a life of good works. And then when you die, God determines whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. No, God says, listen, you're already condemned. That throws the idea of good works out the window. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by grace, God's unmerited favor towards us, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Let me ask you today, will you trust in Jesus Christ that he made the payment for all of your sin? Will you trust in him to get you to heaven today? He wants you to be part of his family. Let me also say this. If you happen to be single, planning on getting married one day, divorced, or maybe you're already married, if you want to have a Christian home, you need to be a Christian. And a Christian is one who is one of Christ, a Christ one, one who's trusted Christ as Savior. Would you trust him as your Savior today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.